Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers. This is Taylor, one of the hosts of the Attack Action Podcast. I'm here with my best friend and the other host of the podcast, Isaac. What's up, my guy? Uh, it's been a scorcher here in California. Um, so I've been spending more time indoors, just weathering the heat wave we've uh, we've been embroiled in, but it's almost over. So that's going to be really nice. I think in town it was like 115 the other day, which if you're Celsius, that's like 43 or 44 or something. But this is just very hot. So uh, happy to be moving past that. <laughs> unrelated to flesh and blood but it's very newsworthy it was severe yeah i had to uh cancel all practices for the high school um the other day because it was uh too hot and uh would be unsafe i'm really looking forward to fall season because i like fall very very much and i don't like the heat and my fall slash winter wardrobe is much cuter than my <laughs> summer wardrobe. So I look forward to that because now school started. So I got to have all my fits prepared, you know, uh, my drip. Yeah. I have yep, to slay thing every day. Yeah. These are all uh, slang words that the kiddos are using these days. So, you know, I felt like we said slay. Did that just come back around? Probably. Nice. It's all cyclical. Totally. In uh, hot news, the homecoming theme was picked. I know now everybody's like, isn't this a flesh and blood podcast? But yeah, now I work at a high school, high school teacher. They're used to it by now. Yeah. You got to get used to it. The homecoming theme has been chosen. uh, Potentially the worst theme of all time. It is Will Ferrell movies are our is our homecoming theme. <laughs> like each person dresses up as a different Will Ferrell or uh, like the each theme class, of the room. Each class, you know, like the senior class will have their Will Ferrell movie of choice float and the juniors. Oh, gotcha. Et cetera. You know, so uh, we'll. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever they want to do, you know, could be good. Totally. They the they voted on it, kind of. <laughs> I feel like the seniors kind of bullied the underclassmen into voting what? for what they no wanted. No way. That's <laughs> wild. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's the big news I have for uh for the school year so far. So nice. <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah welcome to the attack action podcast uh we have a wonderful interview with u.s national champ Tarek patel maybe soon to be the canadian national champ and u.s national champ Tarek patel but so we have that interview for you today it was a ton of fun um great dude it was my first time really getting to talk to him, but he's been on so many podcasts. I felt like I already knew him already. So uh, easy transition for me. And uh, dare I say we hit it off 
the three of us. We did. Which country do you think he'll conquer after Canada? You know, like next year mm. as he collects flesh and blood national championship trophies. You think he'll go after Hayden down there, <laughs> down under? In Australia? Uh, yeah, or you think he'll move, go over to Europe, maybe get, you know, the, yeah. the Polish, the German. There's a lot of good players in Europe over there. I think he's going to the UK, right? He's just going to hop, hop on over. Right. Nice. So easier maybe to immigrate to the UK because of, uh, you know, I don't know, is Canada a former colony of it is of the UK, you know, so yeah. uh, maybe easier to get over there. And then you're a little bit closer to like Spain and then you go to Spain and, you know, et cetera. Maybe. You just make your way over to Australia. Give Hayden Dale his his time. Australia is one know. of those Commonwealth countries, too. You know, they're all like. No, that's Baked true. Beans and eggs and long live the bangers, monarchy bangers and mash. And, you know, yeah. all that all that business. Oh yeah. Speaking of that, Queen Elizabeth passed away most recently in the news. She did, which um I'm sure she was a very fine person. And I, as an American, that means like literally nothing to me. No offense to anybody, you know, not yeah, totally. detracting just, from uh, people who yeah. care, but just like, it's just such a foreign concept um, for me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of wild though, 70 years as the queen and like came to power when uh, or her coronation was like the first one on live television broadcast, you know, like 53 or 52 or something like that. So kind of a yeah, long... Really- Really good run. Yeah. Long historic time to kind of be a influential person and for that to kind of be over now is potentially a, a big moment in history. So her son almost didn't get to be king at all. You know, he's getting on his age as well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so anyway, just uh interesting, you know, global stuff. I don't know. Me me and Isaac haven't been hanging out very much. Um, because I'm very busy with school and, uh, you know, life and stuff. So, um, sorry, we're doing a bit of catch up here at the beginning of the podcast, but let's get into flesh and blood news now rather than global and local news. So Isaac, what's, what has happened in flesh and blood since last we podcasted? Um, so prison reached living legend status, which has Mm -hmm. huge ramifications for the meta, um, I actually very much liked the design space of Prism. I thought it was very interesting and a very like fun to play and kind of interesting hero. It was a bit controversial though because she had so many polarizing matchups and kind of gate kept and made like it unfun to play for a lot of heroes. So I definitely understand the complaints about her and the oppressive nature of that floaty librarian. You know, who knew (laughs) the havoc she would wreck based on her illustration. (laughs) But (laughs) um, now she's gone. And, uh, you know, we we have a replacement in Dromai in some senses. But, um, you know, I think that the the Guardians and Rangers and especially those poor wizards out there can all you know, play the game again. Hurrah. Speaking of which, I tweeted about this earlier, but the Guardians are like fucking angry. They're hyper aggressive. 
they're not they're not messing around. They're just like, you know, they're aggravated. There's a lot of pent up guardians out there, and now they're unleashed and just hammering down. You know, it's not like block and tempo out. It, no, you're getting crippling, crushed, pummeled every turn. It's <laughs> it's brutal. So uh, <laughs> so I'm glad they're having fun again. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh congratulations to prism for uh the first true living legend hero no bands did it made it to the top of the mountain um yeah i don't uh i'm like cool i'm glad it's it's gone as a icelander player i am really happy one of my terrible matches is just now gone so <sighs> way easier now so uh <laughs> still a lot to figure out but we're getting there this playing as icelander i feel like this whole time is gonna pay off eventually you know oh, yeah. it's starting the meta is starting to look rather favorable so she's scary she's watch out scary. everybody um yeah in other news oh no go ahead go ahead well, I was just going to, I mean, I feel your pain because, you know, there's plenty of hard matchups like uh, Ranger into Guardian is like tough and I don't love playing it, but it's like still interesting and you're still having fun. Playing Kano into Prism was just the least fun I've ever had playing this game, you know, like things like that is like, I get everybody's pain, you know, I get it. Um, so I, f- I feel you, Taylor. It's like good yeah. she's gone to to have some fun again in, in those, those matchups or those regards. All right. Yeah. What were you going to, well, just to piggyback off your, our last little bit of prism. If all it does is shake up the meta, you know, or it just has made things more interesting as well. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, like, um, just the meta changing and stuff keeps things interesting, which is, a weird thing I struggle with, I think that we that there needs to be like some sort of uh, artificial or not artificial, but there needs to be some way to shake up the meta or else you get bored, right? It's like it's like a weird thing that happens in card games, but that you're like still playing a game and it's still fun, but you're like, oh, it's been you know. Uh, five weeks of kind of the same thing which feels like an eternity but in the grand scheme of life is like no time at all and you're just like when is this hero gonna ll when are they gonna ban this when's the new set coming out so um sometimes i feel like a spoiled brat that that is interesting you know yeah that is an interesting point because for me, actually, like in this meta with Prism still existing, I thought it was a very fun meta. Um, totally. But in like the Starvo meta, everybody's just like, will they please make an announcement and get rid of Starvo? He has 1,500 points, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. But so, yeah, I think that is a, a pretty interesting point that we need it to shake up. But I think that that's a lot of times just because there isn't perfect balance. So you want the most the strongest or the most oppressive thing to leave so that things can rotate. But, you know, I guess my, my just musing on that is actually in this previous meta, even with prism in it, I still felt like the meadow was uh, fresh and fun, at least for yeah. me. You know? Yeah, totally. I agree. This meta though. 
Yeah, uniquely this meta. Yeah, no, this whole time the CC meta has been, uh, you know, very enjoyable, um, you know, at least compared to the uh, most previous one to that. And so now with Prism gone, it's even more interesting. And then if Briar goes, like, that's going to be also extremely interesting. And so keep us kind of... um, engaged until dynasty comes out and that is the other piece of news is that we have the dynasty uh set has been released we've seen the key art there's a crown another one that makes you royal we have gold tokens and we know that the emperor is a legendary card in the set and is a pseudo rune blade (laughs) (laughs) that's that is uh that is fairly true we we have noticed that uh, or we have been told now though that the emperor is a legendary a la shiana and is a blitz only character at least for the time being um he has a huge card pool which having dual classes is like a really dangerous design space but the restriction of having only red cards, I guess, uh, really caps, you know, what you, how you can break the game with him. So, uh, pretty fun hero. We'll see if it's just for collecting or for, you know, for fun like Shiana or if he's actually good. Yep. Time will tell. It's a bigger supplemental set as well, I think, right? It's like uh, in the mid 200s per card count. I don't, you know, somebody knows for sure. I could pull it up, but, you know, it doesn't matter too much. So that's kind of cool that it's maybe a slightly bigger um, set. And, oh, Christ, I had a a good quip about this dynasty emperor. Oh, yeah, that's what my question was. Uh <laughs> it's very early in the morning we've been up very early it's okay even if you don't have the the quip or the joke you can just tell us about it you know and it's the same (laughs) yeah totally uh when do you think would would you feel okay with them giving us another runeblade character so if one comes out in dynasty is that still too soon or do we have to wait until march would we feel okay that if they had another hero or we had to have to wait and uh, set even after that before you're like, okay, it's fine now that we have a new rune blade hero. Uh, I think it would be fine in March. That's a good question actually. So it seems likely that Briar will LL uh, also in news, they changed the living legend system. Yeah. But in this twilight hour approaching national season, I think, um, Briar still, she has to win like three or four Nats or something. Because she accumulated so many points before the change, she's still in danger of living, achieving living legend really fast here. Yeah. Um, but I, I think rune blades are like a very integral part of metas and, you know, are like more aggressive, but unlike Phi are like more vulnerable on different you know axes or fronts or whatever and um you know just like they're just always an interesting part of the meta you have to like kind of tech to um 
to play against, right? So right. I think Runeblades are really healthy for the game. Um, my only qualm has been that like, like every Runeblade has needed a ban and almost no other characters have, you know, that just the strength of them has been compared to everyone else. Runeblades have steadily been overpowered or broken and, you know, not many other classes have been. Um, so I guess that the, just the, the slightly overpowered design space or the strength of Rosetta or something, um, you know, should be addressed in the next, um, you know, Runeblade production, I guess. But, you know, I'm not a designer. I know it's probably a very fine line between making a fun, strong new hero and making a too weak hero or too strong hero. So I'm not, no judgment there or anything. Just like that's been the biggest pattern in the game has been the little bit oppression of the Runeblade. So lots of people love to play them. They have a very large card pool. You want to make use of those cards. I think another Runeblade would be just fine in March. I just don't want it to dominate the next meta. Yeah. What do you think? Do you want a new Runeblade soon? Um, Potentially. But it also is fine taking a Runeblade break, you know? It's like totally okay with me. But I, I mean, I would like a new Shadow Runeblade um, that gets to utilize some of the cards that chain didn't get to utilize, you know, like dimensional crossroads, um, or some of the two cost blood debt, uh, cards you can play from banish and that sort of thing. So, or somebody that uses dread scythe, that would be great. Um, so that would be my only caveat for a rune blade is that I get to use cards. I own and haven't gotten to play with in a competitive manner yet but in terms of like when the right time is i still feel like if whatever set comes out like if there's one in dynasty feels too soon maybe march feels too soon um but then it's like i don't know how safe it is to have new characters in the supplemental sets because they, well, they also are like blitz only a lot of times. So I don't know if that's helpful, but um, we'll see. I'm sure there are people on both sides of that fence and in between who are like, no more rune blades forever, want the rune blade right now, and somewhere in between. You know, I don't really have a super clean answer. What if the new Shadow Rune Blade, you know, it's like pay two for this? five or six attack or whatever or pay three and banish the top card of your deck or something like that you know so Isn't you can that still what Kano like does is pay three and banishes the top card of his deck well it's like an additional cost to your cards you can pay more and get more cards right because a new shadow room blade has to somehow banish their cards right to get like hand advantage but the shackles were maybe a bit much because you just get extra bonuses for free so i was just thinking so then, of yeah you know huh. like an attack That's, is like two for six or it's three for six and you can banish the top card of your deck you know or something like that yeah interesting could be true it would be interesting if you had to pay to banish your cards maybe uh to uh hindering 
but to build up your banish zone to then have like a, a big combo. You know what like I mean? Like once per turn, pay one, banish a card, go again. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. We'll, we'll uh, see. But yeah, I'm not a card designer. I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> uh, what else do we have in the news, Isaac? Are we forgetting something? Uh, just the aforementioned uh, living legend change. Oh, right. You know, go look it up. But it's like, it's it's a really good change. Right now, the amount of events has vastly outpaced the, um, I guess, the balance of the number of points you need to achieve living legend. So heroes were going to achieve living legend status way too quickly, and we, we would be out of heroes. Um, so they've changed it to where uh it's like kind of proportional or a per, kind of percentage based right so there will be like 3000 classic constructed living legend points um whatever injected into the year of competitive play so right you know, so there's in theory like- three heroes could ll but that would be perfectly balanced and like odds are everybody will just accumulate some yeah so it's like each of the classic constructed seasons. So if we take this last year, for example, there were two ProQuest seasons and one Road to National season. And so each of those, now stop me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe we'll have a thousand possible points. And then the win percentage of that will go, um, whoever wins the most gets the most points out of those thousand and et cetera on down the line rather than just a strict number um, yep. based on your win. And then it'll be like that for each season. I, if I read Sounds the right. article for the second time correctly the other <laughs> yeah. day. Sounds right. Go look it up. Um, I don't have any more news, but I do have one little qualm that I've now tweeted about twice because that's what you do when you just have qualm because we all have a platform now. So rabble rabble but i i just want to know if you're playing in worlds and you drop day one if there will be a calling spot reserved for you in day two or the first day of the calling or if you have to buy a ticket ahead of time previously they have reserved spots for you know that tournament in the calling for those people who do drop and want to play the calling but you know, they tell you to buy your calling tickets ahead of time to be prepared and not miss out, but then they don't specify or let us know, you know, if you need a calling ticket just in case or if they'll reserve one for you or how many they'll reserve or anyway. It's just been a little bit annoying trying to plan for that just because I don't want to buy like a expensive calling ticket if I don't need to, but I don't want to miss out for not planning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it LSS. makes total sense. If anybody listens, just please let me know. <laughs> All right, that's my gripe. No, it's a valid gripe. And is like, again, the like the stuff on the margins LSS can improve on and part of their growing pains this past year is like these little bit of details and fine tuning of uh, their event structure and schedules and all of that stuff is, um, you know, there are a few things missed. And so hopefully in the future, we will have these sort of things shorn up for everybody so that they can plan 
their lives accordingly. So uh, tickets have been bought for Worlds. We're going. We got our Airbnb all set up. Um, it's going to be a great time. Can't wait for November. Do you have any other news or shout outs? Uh, just shout out to all the homies in their respective nationals for this month. So uh, Hayden Dale's got to go. Uh, we're recording this uh, after day one at Australian Nationals. So friend of the pod, Hayden Dale's got to go 3-0 to make top eight right now. I believe in him. He can do it, defend his title. Um, Tarek Patel is going into Canadian Nationals the week after that with friend of the pod, Yuki Lee Bender. So just shout out to everyone who's participating in Nationals and good luck to them. Good luck to Tommy Fresh for U.S. Nats. Uh, you know, Oliver Fi, all the NorCal crew going to Nationals. So just, uh, you know, good luck to all of them. I believe in you all. Yeah, that's, that's I was it. still flirting with the idea of attending, but there's just no way. It's too it's too much. It's like not a perfect or affordable location to like you know, fly to and it's anyway. I really wanted to go <laughs> and I still want to go, but I think I have to bow out unfortunately because it's just like especially with worlds coming up. And, um, you know, again, the, you know, the North Carolina location, I mean, they're, you know, they have to move it around and it has to be in a good place for everybody, but just as a little bit, a little bit too tough, um, right now. And my flight could just get canceled. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Good luck, <laughs> yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah, won't totally be going to nationals that. this year, but, um, maybe next year, Taylor, maybe next year, who knows? It depends on when it is and how I can plan. You know, all of these things get easier if I know the the general full calendar of the year for flesh and blood events, you know. So all of these big tournaments wind up coming right at the start of school slash the start of basketball season where I'm like uh, have way less time and it's such a much more gargantuan effort to coordinate everything and get prepared and stuff. So um, if I can know well in advance, it would be easier to kind of schedule my busy teacher, administrator, coaching life around it, you know. So definitely want to try to go to U.S. Natch next year. But, I mean, if it's like, you know, closer to Thanksgiving, impossible because then it's just, full swing of basketball season. So we'll see. Hopefully we will get to know what happens for 2023 at the beginning of 2023, not figure it out month beforehand, you know, anyway, if you enjoy our part podcast and would like to support us, there are a variety of ways you can do that. Um, like and subscribe and comment on all of our stuff. That's really helpful. Uh, you know, the algorithm gods, we must appease so that we can then reach more audience members and grow our community. So that would be really great if you did that. You could support us on Patreon. 
um, gets you access to our Discord, our monthly social events, and uh, just get to hang with our cool community of listeners. Um, it's it's just a really good <clears throat> uh, community. And if we ever get any promos, we're we're hooking you guys up in the in the Discord and that sort of thing. And it's uh, just four bucks a month, one cup of coffee. Coffee is very expensive. And uh, if you're out there getting a latte, you can just skip one day of a latte and, uh, you know, give us those $4. It really does help out. Um, You can also just tell a friend. You're at your local armory. You got your Attack Action podcast sticker. You're like, yo, check this podcast out. It's really great. These guys are really funny and you should listen to them. And they'll be like, cool, I'll check it out. And then next time at Armory, you'll be like, wow, what a great episode that was. And then our new listener that you created will be like, totally is. Thanks so much for recommending them. And that's exactly how it goes every time. Yeah, they. you'll be like, I didn't need that latte. I appreciate <laughs> them a lot, eh? <laughs> or, or something sorry come come back to me we'll we'll work on that <laughs> well i know you're all here for uh you know lawn mowing news and general <laughs> updates about british royalty and the like but instead here's Tarek patel All right, and we're here with Tarek Patel. What's up, my guy? Not too much. Thank you for having me, you guys. You know, I feel honored to be on this podcast finally. Uh, I've been deep in the trenches uh, preparing for nationals. Just got back from Europe a couple days ago, so getting over the jet lag, but otherwise I'm doing well and feeling happy. Nice. Well, that's why we wanted to have you on because we've actually wanted to have you on the show for a really long time. You just did like a, a million interviews, and we wanted to you know, get you on to talk about something fresh. So it's been a yeah. long time coming, but now you're uh, about to conquer another nation. <laughs> I'd say it's more like returning home to the nation I was from. So it's been a weird kind of trip back because all these guys that I used to play with are now like eight years older than what I remember. The scenes kind of changed a little bit. I used to be part of the magic scene back in the day, but it almost feels like I'm coming home, but also there's kind of a new grounds to, to kind of conquer in terms of flesh and blood. So I'm excited for nationals next weekend. And uh, I'm excited to get my first real taste of what uh, competitive flesh and blood is like in the Canada region, not just from Ontario, but from all over. Heck yeah. So we're recording this uh, the weekend of, uh, the first weekend of nationals, so Australian nationals is kind of being streamed most uh, famously, and uh, your team member Nick Butcher was featured uh, and said that you basically just did all of the heavy lifting for his deck here, his old him deck for Fab Nationals, and uh, he owes all his success to you. How do you feel about that? That that's definitely not true. Uh, so. <laughs> Let me preface it by saying Nick's played a lot of old him, you know, going back a while. And I'm a big believer in the, in the 80-20 rule. I actually just wrote an article about my preparation for Pro Tour Lily, where 
Like 80% of your results come from about 20% of the initial effort you come in. It's that last 20% that you really have to work on and kind of iron out. So Nick has, you know, almost a year worth of Oldham experience because he loves the Guardian archetype, like in general. Uh, I even believe he played Oldham over in Singapore. So as little as two and a half, three weeks ago, he's been playing Guardian uh, recently at a high level. Um, All I really did was I kind of ironed out the last couple slots, you know, talked to him about certain matchups that I thought we were um, not coming out at uh, in the correct way, um, you know, tweaking how we approach the Briar matchup, tweaking kind of the slots, because now that Prism doesn't exist in the metagame, it actually doesn't just change one or two cards from a list. It will change like five or six, because now that you don't need to worry about Prism, the metagame is going to be slightly different. Now you need to worry about XYZ decks a little bit less. So it was more just kind of being his bouncing board, I'd say. I, I definitely don't think I... Uh, you know, I'm the reason he's doing well, or I deserve any more credit. I think he's doing it all on his own. And uh, it was a very just Nick Butcher kind of shout out for him to do. Well, he's yeah, in totally. first place as we record this. So this could age really well or, you know, poorly. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to find out as the day moves on. <laughs> um, some more, I have some more questions about Nick Butcher. I know you <laughs> are our guest right now, but... Uh, two things. One is what's he like behind the scenes? Cause you obviously have spent a lot of time with him cause he's on team dragon shield, but his public persona is one of a, uh, cranky doesn't give a fuck type of dude. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, is that all a facade? Is he really like the sweetheart of the three of you and, uh, you know, journals every night and, you know, just makes uh, lovely Earl Grey for everybody in the morning or something. Nick's an interesting character. Um, I would say his persona that's perceived by the public is probably a little bit uh, overplayed to what he's actually like, but it's not far off. So what you see <laughs> is more or less what you get. But funnily enough, he's probably the most endeared person in our friend group. So my girlfriend, Amanda, has been with me uh, for Pro Tour 1 and now Pro Tour 2. And she's kind of lived with us throughout the entire testing process. And I think Amanda likes Nick the best out of everybody there. So, like, he's very, like, endearing in his own, like, Nick Butcher kind of way. And... uh, I think everybody loves him. You know, we, we didn't just stay with our team this time. We stayed with a bunch of Canadians as well. And all the Canadians like him a lot. Um, it's almost to the point where like, you always know where you stand with Nick, you know, like if you don't, if you do something that he doesn't like, he'll just flat out tell you to like, like screw off or, or, you know, like, like I don't want to do this or, uh, you know, if you go give him a hug or something, if he does something well, he'll be like, I don't like being touched. Like he's just that type of guy. But I love him, and I think everybody else that hangs around him and gets to know him loves him. So, And he's a very intelligent guy, obviously. He's very smart, and he's just kind of waiting out for his breakout tournament, and, and I really do think this Australian Nationals is going to be it. Nice. My kind of dude. Say what you mean. <laughs> I like it. So who snores more, him or Matt? Or is it you? Are you the guy they got to put in the separate room across the Airbnb so everybody can sleep? So... I don't know, because I think every time we've stayed together, it's been in an Airbnb. I think the only person I've ever shared a room with is Matt. 
uh, back in the calling in Cincinnati, I want to say. And as far as I remember, Matt didn't snore. And I asked him immediately because I'm like, do I snore? Because, you know, with my <laughs> girlfriend, she likes to tease me all the time. Oh, you, you snored yesterday. Or like, you did this yesterday. And like, so I got to double check on her. So I asked Matt, I'm like, Matt, do I snore? And he's like, no. So, <laughs> you know, as far as I know, nobody snores. Uh, I will say the one guy that did snore was Rob. I've, I've spent some, you know, overnight bin, bingers with Rob, like at the casino or, or like abroad. Uh, and uh, he's the snore of the group. But uh, thankfully, uh, in the Airbnb, we, we all got our separate rooms. Nice. Sleep. Sleep is important, as you know, as a, as a doctor. <laughs> so I... There's also a bit of an elephant in the room, and let's get this out of the way at the beginning of the show. So the three of us are A, super handsome, B, super good at flesh and blood, C, all three of us have dogs, Mm -hmm. and we all play Dungeons and Dragons. So I need to know about your dog and then about your Dungeons and Dragons escapades. Okay. Yeah. So right now, because I moved back to Canada, I've actually moved back into my mother's home and she has a dog as well, which is a golden retriever. So right now I'm living in a house with three dogs. So we have a purebred golden retriever. His name is Charlie. He's about six or seven years old. Um, So he's getting kind of up there. We have a great Pyrenees who I like to consider as my dog. Mm. Uh, If you haven't seen them, they're basically like big fluffy white golden retrievers. Like imagine a golden Mm -hmm. retriever, but it's just pure white. Uh, they're from like the south of France, uh, north of Spain kind of region. Um, and that's my dog. She's actually kind of on the more scared side, which is funny because it's the most loved dog in the world. But she loves barking at everything and she drives everybody nuts in the house. And when I'm on Discord with my friends, all you hear is like her barking in the background <laughs> at the voices in her head. And then finally, we have uh, a pit, uh, a pit lab mix. Uh, if you ask our landlords, though, she's a lab mix, and I know nothing about the pit side, but uh, she's like the most loving, sweet dog ever, despite she has a lot of pit features, though. So when people first see her, they're like, they're kind of hesitant, right? Because everybody sees a pit and naturally associates that with like aggressive tendencies. But the minute you get to know her, she's like the sweetest dog and probably the sweetest dog out of the three we got. Uh, nice. What was the other part? Dungeons and Dragons, right? Oh, yeah. So... I wouldn't say I'm like a super tryhard D&D person, but for me, it's like a way to just stay connected with the friends I've had since like middle school. So my two best friends, like Madison and Jeffrey, I've known them since I was five years old. Like we met in like grade one senior kindergarten type area, and we've just been friends all throughout. And then obviously in middle school, you start playing games. And Madison uh, was the one that introduced us to Dungeons and Dragons. And we used to play it like at recess and, and all that. And then, you know, as you grow up, you know, people go different high schools, different colleges, you know, we go off to America to work. Some people stay here. So it was kind of just a way for us to kind of stay in touch. And like, we'd still like talk or whatever, but it's always fun to have like a kind of game as a median to, to mm-hmm. kind of facilitate that interaction. So we used to kind of, I guess we still do try and get together weekly uh, to play, uh, you know, a couple hours on Saturday or Sunday on, on Sunday on, on like roll 20. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that website, but yeah, uh, we are. Yeah. Roll 20 and, and we'll, yep. we'll hang out, a, a campaign or two every couple of months. Yeah. So I was wondering just because you're, uh, you know, a very competitive, you know, excellent card player. So in D and D, are you like aggressively min maxing and very competitive or are you just like, getting you know your other kicks out are you like 
relaxed and role playing your, you know, elven flute player just to like get away from the competitive scene totally. How, how do you uh, approach this uh, starkly different game? I am kind of a min-maxer, which is like not <laughs> nice. something I'm proud of. But like, I just like don't want to die, right? Like, it's not fun dying. So like, right now I have a level one fighter, or maybe level two fighter now, and level eight barbarian. So I'm min-maxing a, a barbarian fighter. Um, and I'm gonna get this wrong, and some D and D person that knows the rules way more than me uh, is gonna jump on me. But in the previous version there used to be like encounter abilities. I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up, but like you had like once an encounter mm-hmm. uh, like type things that you could only use and they like refresh only during encounters. And like at one point I was like trying to get the, the dungeon master to like, let me capture this like feral fucking animal that I could just carry around with me and I could refresh that encounter action like whenever <laughs> I wanted to on demand. So like I would try to do shit like that. So <laughs> yes, I was like aggressively min maxing and like optimizing characters. But to me, that's the fun part, right? And I think what's fun about these games is that the the DM or the dungeon master like knows everybody's kind of personalities. And I'll role play too, right? Like my barbarian is is very low intelligence. Like he's an he's an absolute moron. But like if there's something and let's like like uh consistent with the game that i think an idiot would do i like do make my barbarian do that because like i don't want my like seven intelligence barbarian fighter to be making like intelligent decisions right like so he'll walk into traps sometimes and i'm just like in my head i'm like i know this is gonna happen but this is how (laughs) his name is max power i'm like this is how max power would act (laughs) if, if he was in this scenario so it goes both ways kind of Totally. Gullible fools are like a lot of fun to play for sure. Very bold, you know, courageous, gullible (laughs) characters. Um, Yeah, that's like part of it, though. That is part of the fun because I'll do that. I'm like, well, can I capture this wolf? (laughs) Well, will you let me keep it? You know, can I just have it? And, you know, I don't know. I feel like that's part of the the DM's job, unfortunately, is to kind of like rein you in because just get away with what you can. I'll abuse every nook and cranny, you know, so long as the DM will let me. And there'll be times that they'll be like, no, you can't do that. Or like, she's like, you roll a dice and like, it doesn't work. It's like, you know, they haven't even checked like a DC modifier. They're just like, no, you failed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cause they gets out of hand, you know, for sure. But yeah, I love D and D for me. It's the, uh, it is that like really fun shared time of telling a story with your friends um and for me personally i'm okay if my character dies i'm like if that just happens like cool i'll get to tell a story with like another character because there's just like so many variations and options for cool characters to play that if mine dies it's totally fine and sometimes i even talk to my dm and i'm like the story arc is over or Mm -hmm. in a previous campaign we had i was like a i was part of this uh, my friend was like my brother and I was like, a. we were both dwarf rogues and my character was kind of like that larger than life character and like stealing shit all of the time and like lots of antics that were like really fun. Um, but I thought that there would be a cooler story beat if I like got a little too drunk during a celebration and then picked a fight I couldn't win and then just died <laughs> and nobody knew that was going to happen except for the dungeon master. Uh, but funny enough, another person in that same party 
came up with a similar idea secretly for the exact same session. So we had like this really awkward session where two party members kind of like in the first hour, like kind of die, you know, like for no real super reason. And so it kind of like dampened this like moment I thought I was going to have with everybody. But then like 20 minutes later, it was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, this other guy dies. And then like, you know, 20 minutes after that, two new party members and just everybody moved on so quickly. And it was uh, kind of missed the beat on that one. But sometimes that's how it goes. And that's and that's know, exactly why. we, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly why you play D&D or for these memories. Like I still remember my most memorable campaign was when like the the long and short of it was there was two other guys and one of them ended up falling in this pit. And I guess like in between sessions, the D the dungeon master pulled him aside and told him like he died and he was actually replaced with a doppelganger. So he was playing kind of like a double agent through the rest of the campaign. And the way it ended cool. was he actually ended up killing us. And that's how like <laughs> that story arc kind of ended. And I'll still, I'll never remember. I'll never forget that because it's like, he played the part so perfectly. And that's then we cool. all ended up dying to our friend who was like a party member. So yeah, those kind of stories just stick with you. And we still laugh about, and that happened like 15 years ago maybe so when we were like yeah. teenagers you know just in high school so yeah that's the reason we play these games and it's it's absolutely hilarious when stuff like that happens totally yeah it's a great time all right back to flesh and blood thank you for humoring me <laughs> excellent go ahead isaac all right let's see oh no so i wanted to ask one more one more personal question. So you play mm -hmm. a lot of golf mm -hmm. and um, Taylor and I are interested in different types of, you know, sports or sports science-y things. And I was just wondering, like, sometimes I draw a lot of parallels between certain activities or sports and flesh and blood, maybe just the mental game. But I was wondering if you like ever, you know, if your golf game, if you ever draw any parallels between golf and flesh and blood, or if you, they're just totally separate in your mind or how that works for you. I actually like them because they're complete opposites. So when I get frustrated with one aspect of my life, I like to have things that are complete opposites that I can kind of go to. So, mm. you know, I have work, I have my social relationships, I have golf, and then I have gaming. But even when I go back from my leisures like golf and gaming, in, in Flesh and Blood and Car Games, there's a lot of variance in it, right? Like we can't pick or choose where we draw well or draw poorly or take our wins, take our losses. But golf is the complete opposite. It's such a deterministic sport where like every little micro decision you make and your swing and your thought process in, in your practice matters and it carries over day to day. So like when I get frustrated from the variance aspect of card games, I can just like stop thinking about that and just like go work on a very repetitive thing, which is like a golf, my golf swing. So I'll spend like two, three hours on the range sometimes doing nothing but working on like how my palm is facing at the top of my swing. And when I bring it down, is it, is it still like, you know, uh, perpendicular to the sky? Um, like just really tiny aspects like that, that I can then go translate over to, you know, two weeks from now when I play a golf game. So I actually enjoy it because it's completely different than, than flesh and blood. And I get my kicks out of, you know, I think life in general is, is best when you have balances, you know, when you not doing too much of one thing over and over. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I just tweeted about this the other day that I took kind of a break from flesh and blood to, mm -hmm you know, do some other stuff. And cause like I'm a, I'm a teacher and so school started up. So it was yep. just a little too challenging to get the school year going and keep the grind up. So mm. 
uh, I got to just kind of do some other stuff, um, you know, out, outside of flesh and blood and tick some things off of the chore list around the property and, and that sort of thing. So, and, and now that we're, we're back on, on the grind here, it's, uh, very refreshing and I feel way yep. more motivated and well, I totally, no thing. yeah, yeah sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Tarek. No, no, no. You go ahead, bro. I was just gonna say you're you're totally right. Like repetition is what leads to depression. So I'm glad you got that time. Yeah, totally. And I I fully uh, relate to having um, things separate and not doing you know uh, things that have like too many parallels. Like I don't take time off playing Flesh and Blood to just play a, another competitive card game or something like that. Because um, I feel that. I don't know. Like I also coach basketball. And so if I did that, like I did it at the collegiate level for a year and that was like a little too much. You only get like three ish, maybe, maybe not really. Cause then you have to like start recruiting kids, um, off a year. And it's just kind of one hell of a grind to be like in charge and managing 15 players all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate now being back at the high school level where, and I'm at a small high school where my kids like, you know, most of my basketball team is on the football or soccer team right now. So I like don't even have to really interact with them because they're, they have a different coach right now. And then, but then once basketball season starts up, I'm like, I'm all in, but I can't be all in if I don't have that break, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah I think that's a really good point because like I said, I, I was always trying to draw parallels in terms of like, you know, problem solving for your brain and just different ways, um, you know, performing under fatigue, just different stuff like that in which these things are similar. But I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. But I mean, you're entirely right. Like when when you get burned out by the variance or like sometimes I'll go away and, you know, play for a weekend and it's great. But then after that weekend, I'm like, you know, that was a lot of fun in like these ways, but I also just like drove a lot and sat inside a lot. And now it's like Monday afternoon and I'm just kind of like, I don't know, washed out or whatever. So then going and doing something like, you know, physical or adventurous or outside or whatever is like very, very refreshing. So, uh, yeah, I just appreciate that point you made in terms of like, maybe now I'll think about them in terms of their similarities and differences, um, a bit more. Yeah. And physical activity is a huge part. You know, myself, I'm trying to work on that. I missed the whole fab fitness month in July that everybody was participating in because I was moving. I moved from Florida up to Canada and just traveling just like a, a really, really busy month. But I, one thing I'm trying to work on myself is I've let my health slip over the last couple of years, not a hundred percent on fault to my own. There's only so many hours in a day. And when you're working, mm-hmm. you know, 80 hours a week, sometimes, you know, I was sitting a lot, and, you know, I was eating cafeteria or hospital food, which isn't the best, honestly, as sad as that is. <laughs> so, you know, I missed the Fat Fitness Month in July, but my goal is from now, what are we, early September until Worlds yeah. in November, uh, I'm going to be doing my own little fitness challenge and we'll see how far I get. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We do do a lot of sitting in, in card games and weeks away while they're fun intellectually, physically, they're actually taxing because we're just sitting there and being lumps of lumps of clay instead of up and active and and that takes a toll on the body and the mind yeah totally me and isaac try to fit in like a run 
when we go on like flesh and blood trips, like uh, when we did the battle hardened LA, Mm -hmm. we like did a run uh, the day before Uh, we were about to like sit and commentate for the whole day and it makes it like way more bearable. So we don't really run together. Isaac's really fast and he's built like a gazelle. So he just like sprinted around while I just like kind of trotted behind a very Legolas and Gimli situation. Get our kills in our own way, though. <laughs> um, we we did go to Vegas, though, and woke up and we're like, it's like 92 out and concrete. And yeah, like that. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. At hard of you don't get yeah. to it. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, OK, um, let go ahead, Isaac. All right. Um, so we had a bunch of questions from various um uh, fans in our discord and on twitter etc cetera, etc cetera. so i threw a bunch of these kind of casual or random questions into a little warm-up round for us sure. so you can a- answer these in one word you can talk longer about them whatever but i'm just gonna fire them off and you know mm-hmm. have at them as you like sure so first question what's your favorite card mm, probably death dealer nice <laughs> favorite junk food Mm, does pizza count because i could eat pizza for days it's either pizza or flaming hot cheetos if you want like junk junk food (laughs) nice (laughs) who is the best hero and why is it bravo well starvo is the first hero to living legend so it is bravo that's true (laughs) nice just upgraded (laughs) how many knickknacks does it take to brick a brack i'd say about one or two based on the metagame What hero would be the most and also least fun at a party? Most fun. Uh, Probably Bravo, because he is the star of the show. Least fun? Probably Viscerai, because he's very, like, brooding and so forth. I don't know if he'd he'd be getting along very well. What turn from an opponent has gotten you the most tilted? Hmm. I'm not one that really tilts too easily. Um, it takes a lot to kind of rattle me over the table, uh, in flesh and blood. I don't think I can ever, nothing's jumping out. So. All right. Doesn't tilt noted. (laughs) Yeah. Ice in the veins. (laughs) This one just says win a skirmish with skirmish with genus. I think that's more of a challenge. challenge. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You heard it here first. And Lassell will win a skirmish with Genus. <laughs> what you need. I mean, Got undetermined it. time frame. You know, so, Genus so funny story. <laughs> yeah. The funniest side, I had a friend over in Lil, and he went up to a Genus uh, character that was cosplaying, I guess. And he goes up to him and he's like, that's a really cool costume. And the guy like looks at him and like finger guns him. He's like, what you need? And my friend who has no idea the name of the car is just like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like walks away and he tells us the story later. He's like, the guy looked at me and said, what you need? And we're all like, you're an idiot. Like that's <laughs> literally the card name. <laughs> nice. Stayed in character. <laughs> um, this question is from Colin. Did you move to Canada because you were too scared to defend your title? <laughs> yes, that is exactly why. That, like w- over here in Snow Mexico, it's a lot easier. So I figured, you know, I, I figured I'd go back north and uh, play with the Snow Mexicans instead of down in the land of the free. 
totally. Flake keeps saying that it's really soft up in Canada and there are no good players. So, you know, I think you'll, uh, you'll have a good time. Uh, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good players in our area. Right. Just shooting shots at Flake. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for doing that, uh, that little lightning round with us. Yeah. Um, you ready to kick it off here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, so approaching this competitive season, uh, we're facing a, a lot more of an open meta, right? Mm -hmm. Where, um, players are more rewarded for being skilled pilots at their own decks or kind of being mains. Um, it's a lot harder to target the meta because there isn't a clear, you know, villain. It's, you know, it's just quite a lot different than the Cheerios or the Starvo metas. So, mm -hmm. you know, how does that differ from i don't know i would say like the past year of play how do you approach looking into this uh competitive season that's an interesting question because from this point all the way back since the beginning of tcgs in every game ever there's always been a best deck in the format right we just don't know what it is yet so when we're at the start of a new format where prism just left and there's a big kind of shakeup as to what are the proportion of heroes that will likely be represented. I try and focus on what hero will do the best into an open metagame. And it's a little bit different than like, say, a Starvo format where you know there's Starvo chain and then every other deck behind that, like Prism and, and, and so forth, where you're kind of just trying to pick your slight metagame advantage depending on the week cycle is 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 Starvo slightly more popular this week? Okay, maybe we play, you know, Prism mm -hmm. this week. Oh, is Prism a little bit more popular? Maybe we play Chain this week. Is Starvo popular again? And it goes in a circle. So right now, we haven't had an established hierarchy yet in this metagame. I think one will inevitably come, just like it does with every single metagame. We will call this, you know, XYZ format in a couple months, almost guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, so right now, it differs in the way that I'm just looking for what that next x deck is so how much is the this weekend's nationals going to affect next weekend's nationals do you think do you think that's enough time or do you feel like it's gonna we're on like a two-week cycle like what happens here in australia will affect u.s nationals which is in two weeks more than it affects uh canada and so forth yeah it's tough because it's dependent on what wins, right? So, you know, there's certain decks that are technically a little bit harder to play that you can't just pick up. I, I learned that kind of the hard way playing Dash of the Pro Tour, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was quite a 180 from like your normal Runeblade deck because you have to learn a bunch of different algorithms for pistol reload cycles and when to float mana through turn cycles, when not to. Um, so like, let's say a control dash or mid range dash, like we were playing at the pro tour wins Australian nationals this weekend. I don't think it would affect the metagame too much in one week because it would be very hard if on the Sunday you saw that dash one to go pick up the deck from scratch. If you don't have any experience and then learn it for the next week, even if it is the best deck out there. Um, but if it's a deck, say like, like Briar. Uh, that wins or or viscerai and we have just a large number of people that are comfortable with that archetype already then it's a fairly easy switch mm -hmm. um i will also say the australian metagame is a little bit atypical compared to what i would have expected you know i think viscerai was the most uh played hero by a ton yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, Australia and New Zealand as well has always had a history of instead of playing the best deck, they like to play the deck that they perceive to beat the best decks. So their right. metagames are a little bit atypical. So if this was, let's say, you know, UK nationals or German nationals, I would say it would probably be pretty indicative of what the rest of the format would look like. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get the Australian nationals top eight and then Canada nationals and then US nationals two weeks later. It looks completely different than what we're mm-hmm. going to get this weekend. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, it's like now in the game, like there's just, you know, we were kind of talking about this earlier that there's a, a few too many heroes that you can play at like a fairly high level for you to just like pick up decks and then like do really well because we just don't have that a more linear game plan from some certain heroes, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess to some degree, old him can be a bit more uh, linear than others, but you have to like navigate that matchup um, to a a separate degree than you do something like back in the day when you were, you know, playing chain or Cheerios Briar or something like that, you know, because you have the clock, as part of your enemy as well so yeah i mean i think so what you said is pretty interesting about how there's always a best deck because you know i tend to agree in general when you measure it across you know the entire the entire meta right or the the spectrum of heroes but i mean it just seems like right now and i could end up being very wrong about this but it seems like right now like briar or yeah briar is the best deck at the mm-hmm. moment but that's mm-hmm. in theory until there's enough like old hymns and bravos and ice lexies show up right mm-hmm. and then at that point you know dromai is the best deck right then until there's too many dromais then briar is the best deck again so um you know i i do agree some decks are much more powerful than others and you know the more resilient decks certainly seem to um be the right call but as the meta shifts enough certain players will get rewarded for kind of like trying to counter the counter and spiking events. Mm -hmm. But I know that's a hard call to make because you can try to like counter the counter and then it, it didn't move as much as you thought and you just get like run over by your bad matchup. So I don't know. We're we're just in a tough place. I think you hit the nail on the head there because there, there's a huge difference between the best deck and then the best deck for that week. Right. When I use the term best deck, there's a big assumption that every deck is equally prevalent in the metagame. So your overall win percentage is just higher in a vacuum. But for example, your Ice Lexi deck at Nationals last week was definitely the best deck for that metagame for that weekend. Like you look at how many Lightning Briars were in the top tables towards the end. Like for that weekend, Ice Lexi was the best deck. Now, in retrospect, was that the best deck of the format? Of course not, right? You had Oldham that came out weeks later. You had Viscerai that that ended up coming uh, Hidden Dale Wand with. So, like looking back retrospectively, Lexi wasn't the best deck in the format because it had a bunch of holes. But was it the best deck for U.S. National Weekend? Of course it was. Yeah, totally. Like right now, I think Viscerai or Oldham are probably the best deck, but. It doesn't matter what I think, right? Briar keeps winning. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's tough and it sucks too. Like when you do make that choice to, uh, you know, for the, the metagame choice, you know what I mean? Cause you can get hard punished, like Isaac said, and just 
come into all of your bad matchups. And then, you know, that's a whole other like psychological can of worms you have to deal with. Like, oh, I made the wrong call and oh, I just got so hard punished. That sucks. Like maybe I'm not great at the game anymore. But you have to like, I think, keep stuff in perspective. Like, no, your game plan was to try to game the system and it just didn't pay off, you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's like, probably could have been like a really good idea you know there's just there's always variance uh at at every level like you can just you know get paired terribly round one and then you're on a different trajectory if you sat one seat to your left or right you know so Mm -hmm. that's that's the risk there in that and hard to come back with if it doesn't pay off for sure So let's talk about, um, we had Colin uh, pose us a question to ask you here about, do you have any tips on how to approach practicing or testing with the team? Obviously you're on team dragon shield now and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you guys uh, practice pretty regularly and also, you know, oftentimes for a week leading up to a tournament. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different, um, when you're practicing with a team, I mean, I can only give you how I prefer to do it and some changes that I would like to implement to our own testing process. Um, so more or less, we try and test individually using each other as like sounding boards until we get about a week and a half, two weeks out from the tournament. And then we'll start comparing notes. One of my biggest fear in testing, and this goes back even you know to my magic days, is you know I, I don't like to be inbred. And you know some of that... I can say may have been at play in pro tour number one. And I identified that as maybe my number one uh, failure coming away from testing for that event. Right. Cause I had a really good chain list. It was, you know, very similar to, you know, what Pim tour uh, ended up winning with, um, you know, six belittle and so forth. But we got to a point where we got Starvo. Like it, it just like, we, we couldn't lose the chain. Right. We were racing it. We ended up having the pulver, pulverize in there for, for an extra right. racing, Uh, damage effect so i mistakenly took as like oh i'm not beating starvo with chain at all you know the the mirror is kind of a coin flip i'm just going to give up on on chain and and play starvo when in actuality my thought process should have been yeah our team came up with a really good starvo list um but versus the rest of the metagame what everybody else is doing i still have a pretty awesome you know chain deck here um so my my number one advice would be to practice practicing with the team is don't get too inbred try and practice with a variety of people and then come together and kind of compare notes and i think it really came it really benefited us this time because we did that in draft especially Mm -hmm. and we had like several different draft strategies in um uprising um and i think we all came away with fairly decent records you know all my draft decks this weekend even though my overall draft record was like 2-1 in, in all of them i mean that's just the, the nature of the format but they were all like a plus decks with the exception of the draft where i literally sat next to the people i was testing with so it, like really screwed with my head but every draft that wasn't that one i had like a plus you know nine out of ten eight out of ten decks <laughs> In uh, one of me and Isaac's RTNs, we got paired, or not paired, but in top eight, we sat next to each other and Isaac was passing to me and it was freaking me out yeah. because the, the quality of the packs was really poor 
and Isaac is passing me cards. At first, when we sat down, I was like, oh, thank God. Isaac's going to send me clear signals. I'm going to cooperate with him. This is great. What a load load off my mind. And then he passes me the, you know, my first couple of picks, like picks uh, two through four. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing to me, Isaac? This is yeah. this is messed up, bro. Come on. Yeah, the, the first three packs I saw were like all yellows and trash. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. And, you know, I'm like looking at Taylor like I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the person yeah. my right's doing. I don't know what I'm telling you to do. You know, just <laughs> count the, the class cards, I guess, and <laughs> pick something. Yeah, it's really difficult because you know your friend. You know, you know, we had like pick orders and like things we would take highly. So it really messes with you when you like know somebody's preference and then you see a card that was like higher pick but the rest of the thing is kind of being cut. It's like, what's kind of happening here? So yeah, that draft was extremely strange and it's not easy drafting next to your friends. No, it's definitely not. But yeah, at least I didn't have to play Isaac. That would have been the worst if he was like kitty corner for me. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I would have been upset. I think that rule is kind of interesting actually because if everybody drafts perfectly, it's like going to be a bunch of mirrors which is just kind of odd, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I guess that's just the way it works. Yeah, this format's so strange. Like, the drafting strategy in this format is, like, so atypical from any other draft I've ever done. And it's just, like... I mean, it's not the best format, let, let's be honest here, because there's a lot yeah. of, like, things that can go wrong. You can have the best strategy going in, uh, and then your your draft's just a train wreck. But there's definitely things you can do that can maximize your your chances of ending up with a playable deck. So, yeah yeah i for me my critique is is like outside of picks like one through maybe eight even mm-hmm. i feel like i just have less decisions after those eight eighth pick you know i'm like yep. okay here we go now i'm just yep. you know sitting here praying i get the cards yeah totally yep so it's, mm-hmm. yeah so it's like Less fun in that regard, but I really, I've said this quite a few times on the podcast, for whatever reason, even with that, I still really enjoy the like sitting down and playing the games against somebody else's draft deck. Like there's a little bit more nuance in the gameplay, Mm -hmm. uh, despite potentially it's like making zero decisions in pack two and pack three, you know, relative to the ones you have to make early in the draft, you know. Yeah, I mean, you still have to like count your blues and count your starters with go again you know there's a little bit of nuance uh count your red go again cards for drum or whatever it is but um i definitely agree in general my least favorite part my favorite part is the like there's like not enough resources for everybody so there's a lot of tension and the signal sending kind of comes into play a lot in this format my least favorite part though is in the five year how freaking hard it is to win if you go first yeah that's pretty stupid but <laughs> yeah um, i'm a big believer that you pick two out of three matchups to try and beat and hope to god you get lucky against the third yeah right yeah you pick a lot yeah. of poppers and a lot of uh you know aether ashwing killers if you're dromai and try and beat the mirror and and uh an icelander and i don't know just, i don't know two out of three that's like totally. me love said it ain't bad so I've had a sideboard of like two red singes and two poppers and I'm like, nice, I'm loaded up for my bad matchup and then just never yeah. play a Dromai, you know, and you're like, well, 
Yeah. Those were stupid picks, but yep. <laughs> um, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about you, uh, you mentioned something about your testing team. So, um, I agree when you get used to playing the same people or their ideas on decks then you get kind of surprised. You're like, you're not supposed to consuming volition razor me, you know, Taylor doesn't run that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what is this? But, um, so how do you not, I guess, leak any good ideas you have while testing against a lot of, but hold on. First of all, props to you. This is a long time ago, but I was extremely impressed that, your Cheerios Briar deck kind of got leaked or got out there ahead of time. And it didn't matter. You still just won Nats with it as the best player on it, despite the whole world getting a hold of it and testing with it. So great job on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but you know, so how do you how do you test into a large field to make your game the best without like giving away, you know, your your like blue heavy Kano combo deck or whatever? Is that right. a, how do you do that? It's tough. Um, I'm not going to lie. I play a lot against just myself. Um, so I literally just have two decks and, you know, folks does this too before fab online, like fab online is the game changer. It'll like, cause you, you can now anonymously play against everybody and it's gotten big enough to the point where I don't think a deck like Cheerios Briar is going to be found again, just because like there's enough people playing now and enough, you know, people trying to abuse the system like decks like that are found when, when you have somebody that's trying to really kind of abuse the limits of the game. And mm. now there's enough people, right. That are, are, are trying to do that with different things. We see folks did it with a uh, belittle briar, right? So every card that can be abused, I think will try to be abused in some capacity. So I think, you know, those decks will be figured out a little bit more quickly in the future. Um, so now it's like, you just kind of, I'm a big believer, you know, more practice is better. Uh, a rising tide raises all ships. So I just try and cast a wide net right now. And, and you know, with Fab Online, I'm going to be just playing against random people on Fab Online. If you've played Fab Online recently, you've probably played against me because uh, I've gemmed so many games. But for this last Pro Tour, specifically with Dash, because it was so unknown, um, I had to mostly just play against myself. And it, it's good testing to an extent because you know kind of I'm playing Briar optimally um on the other side and i'm playing dash optimally on this side so i know that my results are somewhat good where i've seen some you know briar players misplay this misplay that and i'm like well should i have actually lost this game should i have won this game but uh to answer your question i just play against myself and and matt (laughs) does the same folks does the same matt rogers does the same nick butcher does the same we all just kind of sit down and play against ourselves right now yeah i used to play against myself quite a bit but i stopped doing it because i stopped trusting myself uh for playing both you know like kind of splitting my brain and and um you know being able to feel like i was actually doing a good job mm-hmm. challenging myself and that sort of thing and it kind of takes a lot of time but maybe i'll get yeah. back into playing myself again I have less time now, so maybe that's not as time efficient. So <laughs> I did play, uh, I don't think my school listens to my podcast, but I did during my prep period play jam a game on, uh, what is it? Talishar online, uh, the other <laughs> oh, day. Yeah, sorry. Fab <laughs> yeah. online, Talishar online. Yeah. 
Um, and that was pretty rad. I was like, ooh, this is dangerous. I need to not have this habit of like, oh yeah, it's six period. I'm just gonna, gonna jam a game now. You know, I gotta, gotta stay focused. <laughs> Um, all right, Taylor, uh, you got the next couple questions here. Okay, sweet. Um, so we just had like some changes to the LL system. So what are your takes on that, Tarek? Um, I mean, the LL system in general is a cool way of rotating stuff, and they're eventually just going to have an eternal format. Um, I think the rate at which heroes are rotating are a little bit too quick, right? I think a year, year and a half, a little bit too quick. I think a sweet spot for me is like every two years, uh, a new fresh top hero would be kind of the perfect amount uh, and then bands in between. But I think, you know, James White's article goes in that quite in depth and he kind of discusses it. And I, um, I like, he's very on top of it. Like, let's be real. And I think his rationale for a lot of the things that he's doing and a lot of the changing is you know, exactly the same thing I would be doing. And it's tough too, right? Because as this game grows, what worked five months ago might not yeah. work five months later. So it's not also their fault, right? If this game grows exponentially, we get a couple more more events, we can see heroes LL a little bit faster than what was originally anticipated. So it's a dynamic thing. And I, I think the system's pretty good and they're going to have to tweak it as, as the game grows. And that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, I agree. Uh the you know the game is you know growing probably way faster than they can hire people and make new departments and and that sort of thing so um you know and and when the game grows the you have a host of different things you now have to like cover um and that sort of stuff so i i enjoy the changes they've made uh, but I totally agree with you that like, what does James say? Like between 15 or in 20 months is when they yep. think maybe a top hero could rotate out, which I still feel is like a little too short. You know what I mean? And there's like all of the other things to consider. Like now you're, uh, you know, pimped out prism deck. You spent a long time like collecting all of the promos for, you can't really play out in the wild, which, yep. uh, you know, is depending yeah. on how you slice that uh, depends on what your opinion of that is. Like you still have the cards and you still collected them and they're still cool. But if a big part of that was getting to play that competitively with all of that bling, then um, you know, that's a little bit no, challenging yeah. in that aspect. But overall, I think it was uh, you know, it's uh, it had to change and they made the right changes for sure. That's a big deal. And and something I probably should have touched on as well is like, I have an entire Prism deck that I just finished putting together and I got Living Legend like uh, a couple of weeks later. I haven't played a single game with it or event with it. And for yeah. a newer player, it really is a bottleneck on what they can play and what they can enjoy. And I do think that's an area for improvement for LSS. I think they should have like even just an intro or a structure deck just ready to go. So the minute a light hero gets Living Legend, two weeks later or however long later you send out these like starter decks to a distributor you know you don't have to include like new cards or maybe just a couple new specialization cards and bam you got a new brand new hero out into the format ready to go and so people don't have downtime on this legendary foot piece that they've spent 150 dollars acquiring right yeah 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 it's Prism definitely a concern 
illusionists were fortunate because Droma uses the right footsteps also, but yeah, that won't always be the case, you know, like chain LL'd and, uh, you know, you have to switch to Leviah if you want to use the husk again, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm just a fan. I really bought into the, um, you know, cards don't rotate and you can kind of specialize in like heroes you really enjoy playing. And I understand that some will rotate out and I think that that's a good thing, but I agree the slower, the better kind of, so your cards aren't just, you know, garbage after a while. I'm just mm-hmm. a fan of kind of, I know there's a balance between just banning cards and then also letting the community figure out counters, but yeah, I, I definitely prefer more aggressive bans than aggressive living legend, if that makes sense, yep. and using that for the health of the game. So I agree, which with I that. think they've yep. done done very well so far, and I hope that you know the rebalanced LL system, um, you know, slows things down a bit. Yeah. Do you think four weeks is long enough for these like miniature competitive seasons, or do you think it should be a little bit longer? Um, it's long enough. And I preface that by saying that it should be closer to the release dates of sets, right? I think there was too much of a lag time between when uprising was released. Um, and when uprising was the last, set, right? I'm having a blank dynasty is the next one. Yeah. 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 Correct. Okay. So I think there was too much time between when uprising was released and when the pro tour was, it, it went from like a very uh interesting and open metagame to a little bit more of a solved classic constructed metagame and a little bit more of a solved draft format so i think four to six weeks is probably fine for you know everything it just would have been nice to have like the pro tours pro tour happen and then the rtn season and then maybe nuts to finish it off some something like that Mm. Uh, but i'm fine with four to six weeks i think that's fine yeah i think the for me personally the qualifiers for it's and it's a tough balance you have to strike right because you have mm-hmm. like so many different types of players that use like road to nats or pro quests for different things and the community is still so small that yep. there is real no difference between those two for the types of players that go out to them yep. so um i feel like maybe adding a week or two to those types of seasons um would i don't know make it a little bit easier for the regular people to Mm -hmm. continue to participate and be involved because like skirmish season unless it is limited is still not like the i don't know you know when you when it's blitz it's it cannot be as uh great of a first step outside of like armory events Mm -hmm. into the competitive scene that maybe it's uh, initially at- intended for, or at least that's my kind of like small critique on on that front, and maybe yeah. a bit of a personal bias because I'm a, a little too busy, and if I had an extra week or two, I could hit a few more events because we have to travel. No, that's a real thing. Like, like even by myself, I almost. Minimum. Oh, sorry. There's a bit of a lag there. Oh no worries. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to talk over you. Oh, I was just going to say I. I completely agree with that because I myself, you know, RTN season was in the middle of my move back to Canada. So I almost didn't qualify for Nats again this year because I got to play one RTN the first week and then I was moving the next two weeks. And then the last weekend was my last opportunity to win an RTN and I won the last one I played in. So 
it's definitely a real concern because people have real life jobs. They have real life commitments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to have something as big as a, a national qualifier or a pro tour qualifier, maybe it needs to be a little bit longer than four weeks. Yeah. Especially when we don't know the exact dates of stuff when they're mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, you know, it makes it hard to like plan around that, especially like potentially in North America or kind of more Western countries, Northern hemisphere, where summertime is like people's chance to vacation or, you know, move because it's like way easier than becoming a, you know, ice trucker up to, what did you call it? Snow Mexico, you know, (laughs) snow Mexico. I mean, that's right on that point. I think Brendan Patrick's not even playing nationals this year because there was so little announcement time that he'd already booked his Europe trip after pro tour a little. So he's just like, well, I can't come back. So I guess I'm skipping nationals. Totally. Unfortunate. That's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I had a question here. I'm going to jump to, uh, uh, Mitch's question. Mm hmm. Because it kind of ties into something that I wanted to ask as well. So Mitch says, as the card pool grows, will each hero's unique strategy be diluted? In other words, will this reduce the need to understand what your opponent is trying to accomplish versus just focusing on your own strategy? Which is a thought I've been having a lot about how now there's so many viable heroes, right? Like you can face like a Dory or even a Rhinar um, mm-hmm. in addition to like a Fi or a you know, a briar or there's just like a lot of heroes out there. So having, I've found, I kind of have sideboard packages mm-hmm. based on my role in a matchup rather than specific sideboards and like silver bullets for heroes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. it's just, it's like, as the game grows, your, your strategy into the field becomes like maybe more about your proactive plan or your, you know, roles and matchups rather than just, you know, for a long time, it's always been just like, okay, in this matchup, I have these silver bullets and this is how I counter it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a a question as old as TCGs, which is like, (laughs) what's better to be, you know, a plus on your game plan or have an answer for everything your opponent's doing. And I think, you know, it was viable to kind of have an answer for everything people were doing back in the day when the game was only like a couple sets old but as the format or i guess as the card pool grows and grows power creep is inevitable right we saw uh swarming gloom veil and rubble and room blood and then uprising led to uh you know fi um having you know greater go wide combat chains and decks are becoming more aggressive and people tend to gravitate more towards the extremes especially as the extremes get better as the card pool grows larger so I think over time, to answer Mitch's question, I think the better strategy will be likely to just optimize your own strategy and kind of, like you said, tweak little packages that you have here and there for overall archetypes rather than silver bullets for XYZ matchups. Yeah. Makes sense. Excellent answer. You're passing the Attack Action Podcast test, by the way, so keep it up. Um. Taylor, do you have any more questions in here or do you want me to uh, just keep rattling off listener questions? Uh, Where I kind of had, uh, you know, we we should be respectful of Tarek's time here. So we are getting close to the witching hour for him. But I did want to get both of your, y'all's kind of uh, takes on what you want to have 
from Dynasty. So I think last time like Everfest came out, I was calling for, or my hope was that we get kind of like a diversity for the existing heroes, like cards that support different stuff, like, you know, uh, one-handed weapons and warrior or um, just like kind of other strategies for other heroes. And they kind of delivered on that. But at the same time, I didn't know that's what I did not want until I had it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so for Dynasty, I kind of just want um, what heroes are doing for them to like maybe improve on or, you know, change the axis in which they can do what they're already doing, but have some workarounds or something. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to get at here? Like mm -hmm. want more of what we've already got so that the, whatever strategy we have going on can just be like better potentially. And maybe I won't want that when that comes out, who knows, you know, I don't know. It's like a, yeah. a flaw, but so yeah. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, designing sets is really hard because it's so much like a butterfly effect, right? The butterfly mm -hmm. effect is, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings and it can cause a hurricane, you know, a hundred miles away or whatever, uh, just from a chain reaction. So it's impossible to say, oh, I hope there's XYZ because maybe XYZ, like you said, ends up becoming the worst thing in the world. And we just get a five <laughs> dominated metagame and, yeah. you know, it, it just turns awful. So I think the best thing we can hope for is it creates a change that's interesting long enough that it lasts from this set release to the next one. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my hope is that whatever's released will shake up the metagame enough that it gets us through two, three months so that there's only about a month left of solved downtime. That would be my hope. Do you think there will be like a bunch of uh, more like blitz uh, specific support in this set also do we want that are they going to continue to do that that's kind of what the supplemental sets have been so far yeah it seems like they really like blitz as a format and i guess as a store owner or tournament organizer i see that because it's a very like player friendly tournament friendly format where games are over and done in like 20 minutes or so um and they're even pushing it for for worlds as a player, uh, I don't love it as much. You know, I think the cards don't scale for power, for life totals. So, you know, a Ravenous Rabble for four still hits for four, whether you're at 40 life or 20 life, right? But the difference is, is you know, one's 10% of your health and the other one is uh, is 20%. So yeah, at cards are just, they scale so much more at Blitz and it's really hard to balance that format. Um so yeah, maybe it'll be blitz focus. It seems like they're coming out with gold tokens again. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's just a bunch of bunch of uh, like nonsense again, like the potions and amulets, like we saw in <laughs> in Everfest. But uh, you know, who knows? As long as it has enough classic constructed cards that it shakes up the metagame, I think it'll be fun and interesting. What are your thoughts, Isaac? Yeah, I I still have hope that the amulets and the like are like a long term upgrade. And not just kind of weird. <laughs> like there was a lot of like pick a card or, yeah. you know, knickknack bric-a-brac or like a lot of like kind of weird cards that nobody's um, life of the really party. been able to use yet. Yeah. Life of the party, which 
you know, are like fun and on theme, but just like, you know, you wish it was something else. But I will say that I can't imagine the difficulty in creating, like I personally would like kind of like dry sideways upgrades, but Mm -hmm. the reality of making a game is that you need to make exciting new things, but also keep it balanced, which I think is probably a really hard line to walk. Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely like, like my favorite example is Claws for Brute. You know, that introduced like a whole Mm -hmm. new archetype, but didn't break the Mm -hmm. game or anything at all. So I kind of like, you know, Claws a bit better than like, you know, Swarming Gloomvale, which is like not broken in any way, but it's just like a strict upgrade and makes a deck like much more powerful. Um, You know, Um, so yeah, I I hope for sideways or like different archetypes for heroes. And and lateral, yeah, improvement is is the way to go. And I, I think you're completely right. And something that I think I've said before to Hayden, actually, when I was on their podcast, is I think Flesh and Blood is a little bit weaker on purpose, like on design. And you can really tell that in certain card designs, right? Car, every card that draws a card is extremely restrictive in both action points or cost, uh, mm-hmm. resource cost. And you're never really netting more than you put into these kind of effects. And I think because of that, when you miss... Like when you miss in terms of a card being powerful, it becomes really powerful because it's only powerful relative to how weak everything else is around it, right? Mm-hmm. Revel and Runeblood is just zero for four. Um, it's not like it's broken or anything, but you know, when zero for four is the ceiling for a lot of decks, you know, most decks every card is only worth about two to two point five points worth of damage. That's a significant upgrade. So, I think lateral is the way to go. Sweet. Well, I'm excited still. It's a new set. And uh, as a content creator, it's more content for us to make stuff about. So, <laughs> so that's great. Uh, it will, it, yeah, we'll see how finally we get gold tokens. And if this like separate resource system that they uh, introduced in Crucible is like a thing or what they're doing with that. Like, it's just like, I have like a grip of cold foil, copper and silver tokens now. Like, I don't know what to do with those. So hopefully we will get some sort of payout pun intended on that side of the game. Maybe, I don't know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just a weird, weird set potentially. I don't know. Now we're all going to be royal. Who knows? Like, I think the gold. I think gold tokens are really powerful. Like, imagine if you somehow have two gold tokens in play, and I mean, this allows you to replace a blue card and leave one floating, which is pretty good in of itself. It allows you to cycle through your deck, and if you that one time in a game you draw a two blue heavy hand, you can just pitch two blues, have two floating, and cycle some more mm-hmm. so i think i think gold's pretty insane like anything with that amount of power i imagine they'll limit your ability in making gold and that'll be how it is balanced but you know anything yeah. with those attributes or abilities or whatever is like pretty you know pretty strong i think yeah. uh <clears throat> cash in right is the rate on that it costs four but you can break a gold token to draw two I think, mm-hmm. or two gold tokens or something like that. But we still have like, you know, no clear way to generate copious amounts of them, which is maybe a good thing. But yeah, we'll see what. Yeah. 
We'll see what happens with all of these. You still can't really do anything with silver tokens anyway. So we heard of cash them out. <laughs> Touche, sir. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're we're winding down on time here, unfortunately. So we did not get to all of the listener questions. Sorry, listeners. But um, we addressed a lot of them uh, kind of when traveling through topics ourselves. So um, let's move on to our signature segments. Okay, so first we have pick, pass, pray. So this is a draft scenario. I'm going to read you three separate cards from Uprising, Mm -hmm. and you're going to choose which card you're going to pick pass and then pray comes back around Tarek, you will get to go first here since you are the guest and then we'll go over to isaac and i'll finish it up uh any questions are you prepared yeah let's do it (laughs) okay sweet first card up is rebellious rush red it's a draconic ninja attack action it attacks for five defense for two it's the red, so it pitches for one, cost two, and it reads, go again. Okay, that is the first card. Second card is Quelling Robe. It's a generic equipment chest piece. It defends for zero, but it has Quell one. If your hero would be dealt damage, you may pay one resource to prevent one of that damage. If you do so, destroy Quelling Robe at the end of the phase. The third and final card is Oasis Respite Yellow. Pitches for two, costs one, is a generic instant, and it reads, prevent the next three damage that would be dealt to your hero this turn by a source of your choice. If you have less life than each, if they have less life than each other hero, they gain one life. So, Tarek, which one are you going to pick, pass, and pray comes back around? I guess I did have a question then. Do I know what pack or pick this is? And am I already in a deck or? Pack one, pick one. Okay. All right. So I'm not like Icelander here because that would make it easy. All right. <laughs> um, that's tough. So they're all kind of medium cards. I'm not happy picking any of them. I would just pass them all. <laughs> um <laughs> In a vacuum, I'd probably take the Quelling Robe. Uh, I do like the equipment, especially the Quelling Robe in certain archetypes. Um, you know, you do need the quellability to kind of survive certain onslaughts from Phi or uh, Dromai specifically. So out of those two cards, I'd probably just take the Quelling Robe. Uh, I would hope to wield the... Um, and I should be happy wielding either one of them, but I guess praying for the uh, Oasis Respite to come back. I think that has a little bit more utility. The life gain is very relevant, especially towards the end of the game. And it works good with Quell. And then passing the uh, the Surging Strike Red, or uh, what's it called? Rebellion, Ravenous Rebellion or, or something. <laughs> Rebellious so, Rush. Rebellious Rush, thank you. Uh, whatever the, yeah, I just think of it as a Surging Strike. So I, I yeah. passed that one because it's not the best card. And you only play it when you really got to. Totally. All right, Isaac, you're up. Yeah, I agree. This is pretty tough without any context. 
I do. I actually really like Rebellious Rush Red. Um, I hate the two costs in Phi, unless you have a Sasha Sandakai. The real strength of this card, though, is it buys two cards from your opponent, right? Like, they don't have a choice. This turn is not one they can use to kind of take some damage to pivot, play out their hand. So that um, Phi doesn't have a lot of those and that disruptive kind of threatening effect out of five. Um, Breakpoint is like pretty impactful in the game um but yeah i'm just i'm gonna pick the quelling robe um i would rather have a sash or the wizard robe but you know i guess odds are you won't get one of those even though you're hoping for it and one wasted pick isn't the end of the world the rebellious rush just isn't quite synergistic enough for me to take it so um i'm actually gonna hope that that wheels um, I think that there won't be many fives at the table if it does. And, uh, you know, I would gladly pick that up on the wheel if I ended up being in five. So then you're um, passing on Oasis for Spite? Yeah, yellow Oasis for Spite actually often wheels. And I think it's a pretty good card. It's a little bit less strong in five because it just kind of dilutes your hands. Um, it's pretty good on Dromai if you're not set up with AB yet. It's good for Eastlander in the mirror, kind of, but it's also just like a bit niche. Um, great when paired with, paired with Quell, though, so, you know, not a bad pickup. So I'm pretty wishy-washy here. Pick <laughs> Quelling Robe, pray Rebellious Rush comes back. Totally cool. Um, it's intentionally a crappy pick-pass-pray here to make it, it potentially more uh interesting because uprising the card quality is like so black and white you know what i mean mm -hmm. but anyway so for me i think i'm gonna pick oasis respite first um has kind of a lot of applications in this like you know for kind of a uh, an early pick it could slot into some decks and um you know, you could in a pinch if you're Icelander, it does pitch into Waning Moon because it's the yellow, um, and it also can potentially stop you from dying if you're against Icelander as well. I do hope Quelling. Well, out of both of these, I don't really care about Rebellious Rush. I think if it comes back around, so if I haven't picked up a chess piece in the Quelling Robe wheels, then I can probably safely assume that everybody else has a chess piece that's passing to me and then that they're a little bit um, better potentially. And so I should pick this up just in case I don't see something else in that slot. So, and then I'm just going to pass on Rebellious Rush. So that's that's my pick there. Nice. It's also interesting. different? I think mm, so, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say it's interesting because if you also pack one, pick one, a rebellious pick or rebellious rush, you're sending like a pretty heavy signal that there's a five card missing in the first pack, unless it yeah. was one of the random three. So I think it's, it's a also rare, not actually. No, it's common. It? I thought it was common. No. Oh, it is? Rebellious oh. rush is common. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. So that, that'd be the bigger reason is I don't like sending early signals in Uprising Draft just because then you can get some really awkward situations where somebody may latch onto that and not be, you know, willing to move once they pick up on that one signal. 
which is often the case. So you might shoot yourself in the foot if you then pivot to something else and that person to your left doesn't pick up that you've pivoted and now they're stuck drill mine. You get a really crappy pack too. Yeah. It's all interesting. Draft, <laughs> draft, <That's>, man. Yeah. <laughs> you could then like, you know, counter your counter thought, et cetera. Oh, yeah. There's stuff, so many you know. levels. Yeah. It's, that's what's fun. Shit, sorry. I uh, was thinking of the wrong card, so my bad. I ruined the segment. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the rare two for five with the hit effect, which was Engulfing that, flame wave or whatever. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. No, that's... I hate Rebellious Rush. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I read it out, bro. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, it's all good. Um, anyway, well, on that note, you always got to end with a strong note. That wraps up our episode and our signature segments. Thank you so much for being here, Tarek. Uh, good luck next weekend facing Isaac Crute, Yuki Lee Bender, and the uh, Army of Canadians facing you down. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to need it. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to have my fingers crossed. Hope I can uh, get through that tough, tough field. Totally. Well, we wish you the best of luck, and we really appreciate you coming on the pod uh, it was great to start up a friendship with you and I'm excited to talk more Dungeons and Dragons later after probably Worlds when we can all relax during Christmas time. Perfect time for other yeah, indoor for sure. activities. Yeah. If you guys ever play online and get a campaign going, let me know. I'm always down for some casual D&D that I will min-max and definitely not try and use and abuse every rule. <laughs> Totally. Will Started do. the episode off as I'm not a D&D tryhard or anything, but <laughs> I do min-max all of my characters for maximum damage. <laughs> anyway, thanks for being on and uh, we'll see everybody in the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the attack action podcast on twitter we are at battle bro taylor and at battle bro isaac shoot us an email the attack action podcast at gmail.com if you would like to support us like and subscribe shop for singles using our affiliate link or support our patreon for as little as four dollars per month